I'm Brian McPherson, and this is the Athena Health Podcast, where we're curing complexity to simplify the practice of care. We're producing this podcast to help clinicians and staff better utilize Athena One so that Athena One can best support your patient care. Today, we're going to talk about the various tools we offer to help practices engage patients in their own healthcare and, by extension, engage with the clinicians who care for them. But before we start, don't forget to register for Thrive, Athena Health's annual summit scheduled for October 9th through 11th in Austin, Texas. Thrive is designed to connect you with your peers and to help you transform your day-to-day work experience and the future of your business. We can't wait to see you there. Check out the registration page in the episode notes or by visiting the main landing page of the success community. Now, more than ever, patients are discerning consumers and they want to be able to engage as easily with their healthcare as they do with their email or their bank accounts. One recent survey said that 26% of patients were willing to switch healthcare providers just to get a better digital experience. That's why it's so essential that practices utilize the digital engagement tools available to them in Athena One. I'm joined today by Curtis Sherbo, who leads the Patient Experience Division at Athena Health to talk all things digital engagement. Curtis, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Brian. I'm excited to be here. So let's first talk about the broad concept of digital patient engagement. What is it that makes digital patient engagement so important? Well, I think it's the the key word there is digital. You know, we're all patient engagement and patient experience has always been present in healthcare. You know, we really, uh, I guess, derive our experience from our interactions with the uh, healthcare provider and the office and the practice. Um, but we're looking for more and we're, we all live very busy lives and we want to, you know, accomplish tasks or receive care or uh, interact with somebody on our own schedules, our own time frame, and really, you know, going after digital channels and digital engagement really expands the opportunity to do that. So it really kind of op- opens up the opportunity to, to communicate with the practice and, uh, you know, accomplish the tasks such as scheduling an appointment or completing some of those things, tasks at home, you know, in our busy lives. It feels like there's been a shift in the industry lately to view patients as consumers the same way that restaurants or hotels may do. How has that changed the way our practices are marketing themselves to their patients? Yeah, that's something we've, we've think about a lot internally. And we really you know, name a lot of our teams, consumer uh, teams, because just to keep it ever present in our mind that at the end of the day, patients are, are people and they, they are consumers and they do have choice. And so they are evaluating and selecting healthcare and they're be starting to look at healthcare differently. You know, that they want the best healthcare, and they're, they're trying to become more empowered and we're trying to empower them uh, to select the care that is the best fit for them. And providers want that too, in that they want to have patient panels that are healthy. They want to provide the best quality of services so that they will have loyal patients that will stay with them for the long term. And then the second aspect of the, the consumerism is that we all use digital devices uh, all the time in our lives today, uh, whether we are, are booking a hotel or an airline flight or, or you know, communicating over social channels. You know, all of these kind of consumer uh, interactions are happening in a digital format. And so we ha- kind of have these preconceived notions on how things should work. And we've kind of been trained on how to use these tools in our consumer lives. And historically, healthcare has kind of lagged the rest of the consumer world. And that's a gap we're trying to close and trying to meet those expectations that patients have. In terms of closing those gaps, I know the regulatory landscape 
impacts that as well. And the government, I think, is working to close some of those gaps. You know, some of these things that we've been doing in Athena One are required by legislation, such as the 21st Century Cures Act, um, especially for clinicians who, you know, they got into medicine to treat patients, not to follow politics and regulatory developments. How can how can they be sure they're following rules around patient engagement, patient access to data, and and all those things? That's that's a great question. You know, really, the the regulations are there to protect uh, patients and also to protect practices and really kind of give us a good framework to keep everyone safe. And so it's a real interesting challenge. Uh, There are a lot of different regulations that, you know, protect privacy, which is ever important, and then also protect, um, you know, consumers and patients uh, for practices that maybe are not, um, you know, trying to do necessarily all of the right things. So it's it's really key that, that we stay up to uh, up to date on all of the regulations here at Athena, and we make all of the capabilities possible in our software to support our customers in meeting those regulations. And so the best way to, to do that is to use the, the features that we have available, uh, talk to us about it, understand your local um, constraints uh, and rules that you have to follow. Um, but uh, trust that we're a partner with you uh, on that. So let's talk about those features and the tools that are Athena, in Athena One for um, our customers to use. Um, you know, starting from the top, this may seem fairly obvious, but in some ways it's so obvious it can be overlooked that digital engagement, it really starts with having patient email addresses and phone numbers in the system. Is there What's the best way for practices to make sure they're getting those email addresses and phone numbers that they can then turn into digital outreach? Yeah, this is something that's really important. And we've talked to a lot of customers uh, and seen, you know, quite a difference in the success some customers have had versus others. And where we've seen the most success is where practice has had policy and training in place for all of their uh, patient facing staff to help educate them, uh, understanding the value of the tools that are provided, such as the patient portal, the patient communications, and all of those things that uh, interact with the patient digitally making sure your staff are trained and and up to date on those things is is step number one. And then step number two is making it part of the process, part of the process of new patient acquisition, uh, checking in a patient, that you review the contact methods uh, available to the patient, make sure we've captured an email address, make sure you've captured a mobile phone number, as well as consent. So it's really important to have consent to be able to send a text message and consent to to send a telephone call. Uh, And the more uh, of that contact information and consents that are captured, the more effective our tools can be in communicating with the patient and enabling them to use the digital tools available. So it's really, you know, to recap kind of two things, it's education for the staff, and two is the process in place uh, to capture all the correct information. So maybe let's go chronologically now through the process of a patient having an appointment and sort of the digital tools that are available through those different steps. Um, so it starts with scheduling, and for years, scheduling really started with a phone call to the front desk where somebody would then look up and make an appointment. And many practices do still rely heavily on phone calls, which obviously requires having somebody to answer those calls and manually schedule that appointment. But you know, now we're in an age, we've talked about this a little bit already, we're in an age where consumers can book flights, hotel rooms, restaurant reservations without making a phone call. A lot of people are honestly averse to making that phone call. What are patients, you know, as consumers demanding now in terms of scheduling appointments? Yeah, this is definitely uh, an area of opportunity for a lot of practices. Uh, 
for sure, consumers are looking to book those those appointments online. They want to self-serve, they want the flexibility, and they want to do it when they have their own time to do it. Uh, and at the same time, we have practices who, you know, have valid reasons for managing their schedule and kind of scheduling the appointments the way they would like and how they want to lay out their day and so that they can deliver the best care possible. So it's really challenging to, to kind of bring those two needs together. Um, but but I think it's possible. And, and some of it is using some of the capabilities in our tools in how you articulate the appointments that are available. And there's some, some rules that can be set to limit um, certain types of appointments. Uh, but I would encourage folks to experiment with this and start to make at least a portion of their day um, patient self-schedulable um, so that you can you know, find a middle ground where maybe you're managing a certain part of your schedule uh, throughout the day in the way that you have traditionally but start with opening up a few hours a day um, the, to be patient self-schedulable and with perhaps less rules and just make that availability um, open to, to patients so that they can book it. And you might be surprised at the uh, reaction you get from your patient panels and your patient communities that they, they're excited about that and they love that flexibility and that they can come and they can see you. Uh, so I think this is um, something that, you know, a real opportunity uh, to move forward. In terms of that control and those rules, have you seen any sort of best practices or su successful ways that practices have been able to leverage certain rules to get patients to book the type of appointments they want at type at certain times so that they can open it up to patients as much as they can? Honestly, I think it's really been the most successful are with less rules uh, and uh, Putting fewer restrictions uh, really has resulted in a, a more fuller schedule and, and more satisfied patients. Um, however, I understand that that's not always possible. Uh, and so I think that as we kind of talked about there, the best way is to perhaps put different blocks of the day together, you know, and, and set the appointment types that are available at different, different parts. But it is going to, you know, introduce some rigidity that, that may not be completely compatible with patient self-scheduling. Uh, but I think it's a great step in the right direction. So then once a patient is scheduled, it's often useful to send reminders to make sure the patient does come in for that appointment. What what tools do we see practices having success with to remind patients of appointments? Yes, we have a great feature uh, called uh, that really delivers fantastic appointment reminders. And this traces back to what we just spoke about a few minutes ago about collecting the contact information for a patient. So if you have the ability to have the, you know, the right phone numbers and the email address, we can communicate with the patient on a predefined cadence of, you know, in the most effective way possible to remind them of their upcoming appointment and encourage them to confirm that, that appointment time so that we, you know, they're going to show up at that, that slot. And so we'll use all of the available channels and we'll use um, an assortment of channels based on what the patient's preferences are and what they've allowed or given consent to. So we'll use a combination of email reminders, text reminders, and phone call reminders uh, to alert the patient of an upcoming appointment and any tasks that might be associated with that upcoming appointment as well. And just to underscore, you mentioned this earlier, but that consent is still a key factor there in being able to use those tools, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really important. If we don't have uh, the consent, then that removes an entire communication channel uh, from being able to reach that patient. So a patient's received their reminders. Well, they schedule their appointment, receive their reminders. Now they're coming into the office for their appointment. And we all know, you know, in the 20th century, they were then handed a clipboard to write down 
all of their health history, write down their name and their address, a bunch of things that in theory should already be in the system anyway. Um, what are we offering now in terms of patients being able to do that check-in to make sure the information is there, make sure everything relevant is there for the clinician um, and the staff to know about um, during that check-in process without making them fill out a paper clip, paper on a clipboard? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen an explosive amount of growth in utilization of our patient self-check-in product. And so we've had uh, a patient self-check-in capability for a number of years, um, but we have really invested heavily in the last couple of years to reimagine what that experience is like with a real focus on the uh, ease of use from a patient's perspective and the value of use uh, from a provider's perspective. So we've re redesigned the entire experience on the patient side, which I think is uniquely um, designed versus uh, any of the other alternatives out there to make it um, as flexible as possible so that the patient has a higher likelihood of being successful in completing the, the numerous tasks that are often asked of them, the numerous forms, um, you know, consent forms that they need to sign, providing their demographic information, health history forms, uh, you know, what is the problem that they're getting seen about reviewing their medications? You know, we've, we've designed an experience that lets the, you know, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure where the patient can actually select which section they'd like to start with and do them in any order that they would like. Because maybe they only have time, uh, you know, to sit down at, you know, five minutes at a time to, to review or, or, or complete some documentation, or maybe they're standing in a checkout line somewhere and they just bring it up on their phone and they can complete some tasks, but they can come back to it later and they can complete some other tasks. Maybe they don't have their uh, health insurance card uh, handy at that moment, but they can come back and do that at a later point in time. Uh, all with the goal of collecting as much information as possible in as convenient uh, and accessible way as possible for the patient. Then on the flip side, uh, in driving a really valuable provider experience, it's making that information as accessible as possible to the provider at their fingertips in the workflow where they expect to see that data. They don't have to go open a separate document. They don't have to track down, well, what did that patient provide? And, and they can just actually in their encounter preparation, they can review you know, their history of present illness. They can review the health screening questionnaires. They can review the medications as the patient has provided uh, right there in, their, um, in the uh, encounter workflow. And so, Making it as easy as possible, it's really going to save time for the provider. Uh, it's going to have more accurate information for the provider uh, in, in their um, encounter as well. And I think this differs a lot uh, from alternatives in that the information provided is, you know, um, not only more accurate, but it's also going to drive a better patient experience because the provider is not likely to ask the same question again. You know, we've all had a frustrating patient experience where we, you know, you've done that paper clipboard in the past. You filled in all that, that information and then you go into the exam room and they ask you the exact same questions. And you're like, I already answered that question. Why do I have to do it again? Like, look at the piece of paper I already handed it to you. So trying to make sure that that information is consumed in an efficient way to drive a great patient experience and also provide better care has been a real goal of ours. When are we seeing patients do that check-in now, the practices that are having success with it? Because I know there are different options in terms of digital check-in whether it's in the office on a tablet that's being provided versus on their phone, you mentioned, you know, in the checkout line or sort of at a time, you know, the night before that's convenient for them. When are we seeing that, especially in a way that's most benefiting the, the provider? 
Well, we make it possible up to a week in advance uh, for a patient to complete those tasks um, so that they have the opportunity when it's convenient for them to do it. Um, but most of the time, you know, we all live busy lives that patients are really just doing it um, likely just before the appointment. And so we do send some last minute reminders if they haven't completed those tasks and to give them the opportunity to do so. Um, but most of the time they are actually completing it on a patient owned device. So most of us are carrying um, phones around in our pocket these days and we're comfortable navigating and using our own device. <clears throat> and so that has been, been really the focus of a lot of the capability we've provided is to make it really uh, easy for the patient to use their own device. So even if a patient shows up in the office, they check in you know, at the front desk and they haven't done their paperwork, we've provided the ability for the, the front desk to just press the button and send a new link to the patient if they haven't already done so. Uh, and then they can sit there in the waiting room and complete that task uh, on their device uh, as well. So in terms of the, the appointment sort of process, Obviously, these days, even seeing the clinician can be digital these days um, through telehealth, you know, which we now offer Athena Telehealth. And I know the use of telehealth is not as widespread as it was in 2020 and 2021 when most of us were exclusively using telehealth to see clinicians when needed at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. But how are we seeing practices use telehealth these days? Are there certain specialties or patient populations where it's being particularly useful? Uh, absolutely. So telehealth has been really fascinating to, to kind of see the growth trajectory. So obviously during the pandemic, we had a huge spike in utilization as a replacement for in-person care. Uh, and we saw that start to decline, but we saw a real emergence of you know new care delivery models that are really focused on leveraging telehealth. So behavioral health is one of those areas where we see a huge increase um, in uh, utilization. And that's really allowing behavioral health practices to offer more care, reach more patients, uh, especially because behavioral health often involves many encounters and multiple encounters. And the convenience uh, is really an important factor in that the patient is going to continue to participate in their care um, because it's, it's, they don't have to travel to a, a location necessarily to receive that care. So we're seeing quite a growth there. We're also seeing um, telehealth as a supplement uh, to the uh, traditional delivery of care as well. So it's really uh, fantastic for follow-ups uh, where you've had perhaps an initial diagnosis with an in-person visit, but a follow-up, which is really just the doctor checking in with the patient, seeing you know how are, what are the outcomes and are there any ongoing concerns and as a really efficient use of both the, the doctor and the uh, patient's time just to have that visit via uh, telehealth as well. So we're seeing quite a um, you know, combination of, of care delivery in, in certain practices like that as well. But overall, we're still seeing a positive growth trend uh, on telehealth. And so the last step is payment. Um, and one thing I wanted to touch on goes actually back to the check-in process that you mentioned is that insurance card. You, know, you mentioned that scenario where a patient might not have their insurance card on them, but still might want to be able to scan that or send a photo in. What is the benefit there of being able to send in an insurance that for practices to have that patient insurance card um, sent in during the check-in process? Yeah, so one of the, the biggest challenges uh, or most important kind of things to do is to make sure we have accurate um, patient insurance and capturing that as soon as possible. I think everybody is happier if we have the correct insurance information, you know, we have faster claim processing, we have a, a faster cycle, um, you know, billing cycle for the patient so that they know what their obligation is as well when a, a claim is processed uh, appropriately. So we you know, help with our patient self-check-in 
will help capture that insurance card. We'll actually in, enable the patient to upload a photo of their card as well. So we have a solid reference of what that, that card is. And we've even enabled some automations where our software can read that image to determine and propose the package, um, the insurance package to be selected that can be confirmed by, by human, uh, but helps reduce error rates and really drive that um, great, uh, great um, insurance capture outcome there. But also, you know, it really provides the opportunity for us pre-encounter, so before the appointment, to run that insurance and identify any co-pays that are potentially applicable upfront. And I think it's a better patient experience if you, you already know your copay, you can pay your copay before the appointment, and it's not something you have to worry about after the appointment as well. You know, but it, depending on the treatment, we still may have a bill uh, afterwards, and, and there may be continued um, patient obligation. Uh, there, but we make it really easy for the patient to understand. We want to have a high confidence that the bill was produced um, correctly, that we made the correct insurance claim, the correct amount was applied and covered by the insurance, and then their correct patient obligation is available at the end of the day there. And that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, just overall in the healthcare industry is just patient confidence that the billing is correct and that it's accurate. And any delays in billing or in payment is, is typically attributed to the patient being unsure that the billing was done correctly on the first pass. Uh, and then that their confidence level is high enough that they, they feel that the amount that they owe is accurate, that they're willing to make that payment. And then once they're seeing that and they're confident in that, I would imagine that these digital outreach methods that we have for getting patient payment are just are going to see more engagement than paper statements in the mail, which I'm sure can just pile up on some of these desks somewhere and never get read. Absolutely. And so, again, that ties back to your earlier point about the collection of communication preferences, so email and SMS and phone calls and whatnot. But we have uh, we can take advantage of all of those communication channels to reach out to the patient, uh, send them a link to their electronic statement. Uh, we can send them a link to all of the information so that they can see exactly how their bill has been broken down and then make it very easy for them to pay uh, online through that payment channel where they can provide a credit card and, um, and make that payment. And it's a very easy to use interface. It's in few steps as possible and just to make it as convenient as possible and then provide a receipt, an electronic receipt to the patient as well. And, and that's something where we're also looking at, you know, the future holds more, I think, payment opportunities. So today we process credit cards uh, seamlessly online, but there is lots of demand for digital wallets. We're seeing the use of digital wallets uh, in in all of the consumer industries. Uh, so this is again one of those uh, opportunities where perhaps in the healthcare side we're lagging a little bit uh, from the general kind of consumer experience. But we're working with our payment providers and our payment partners to uh, bring digital wallet support uh, to our experiences as well. Again, making it as easy as possible for patients to be able to to pay their obligation. So a lot of these things have been and are currently happening both kind of within the patient portal, also outside the patient portal. Some of these are available without logging in just to make it easier. Um, but earlier this year, to supplement the patient portal, um, we made the Athena patient app generally available to patients for them to download to both manage their health and to complete some of these tasks when they have appointments. Um, a lot of the features we've talked about are available on the app. Others will be available later this year or early next year. What are we seeing patients utilizing now on the Athena patient app? Yeah, so this is a, an interesting point um, that we debate a lot internally. 
uh, of you know how do patients want to interact with their healthcare, you know which aspects of their healthcare, and one of our kind of fundamental principles is meeting the patient where they are, and and what we interpret that to mean is making it as convenient as possible for the way that they want to interact with their care, which means multiple channels, multiple ways for a patient to interact with it. So traditionally, that is the only option has been the patient portal. You need to log into the patient portal and you can find the tasks you need to complete there. You know, we expanded on that concept with a breaking out particular digital workflows, such as the payment workflow outside of the patient portal where we can message you and you can click a link and through a lightweight authentication, you know, the, uh, enough authentication to ensure a secure transaction, but to allow you to pay that um, bill without having to log into the patient portal. And so we've been trying to reduce those barriers for patients to make it easier for them to do these tasks. Um, but some people still prefer the security of logging into somewhere where they're, they're confident that they're as secure as possible. So the, with those two, you know, those have been our historical um, channels. Uh, the third one is, you know, with the, the uh, prevalence of, of smartphones was that we needed to bring a patient application to the market. You know, there was starting to be a lot more patients asking for having a mobile application. And that really um, can be traced to the convenience of having that icon on, on the screen of your mobile device that you can just click and access and interact with your healthcare. You may be notified still via, via text message or an email, um, but with the mobile app, we can also um, use a push notification channel to, to notify you of a, an outstanding task, such as scheduling an appointment or reviewing a bill or reviewing a lab result. Um, but the Athena patient mobile application just makes it that much more convenient to access that care. You don't have to remember a URL. You don't have to browse to that site. You're just clicking that icon on the desktop. It also just makes it that much easier to use the biographic um, authentication that is built into our devices today. So again, you're not fumbling with the username and password to log in. You're just using a facial recognition or a fingerprint to authenticate into your app. And the, the first version of our app is really focused on uh, what we call getting patients cared for. So we selected the features there that would appeal to, to users who accessed healthcare frequently. And we wanted to make it really focused on making it easy for them to get an appointment and manage their appointments and tasks associated with their appointments. So the first uh, version of the Athena patient app delivered all of those capabilities. A patient could log in, they could um, schedule a new appointment, they could see all their upcoming appointment, they could initiate the check-in that we just talked about from that appointment. If it was a telehealth appointment, they could join the telehealth directly from that link. Uh, and, and receive care. So uh, our focus there was really on those kind of high priority use cases about scheduling, managing appointments, and then participating in those appointments. We've also included um, one of the more high value or frequently used um, uh, tasks, which is viewing lab results. So follow up from an appointment. If a patient has had any labs that have been performed, we built a nice experience or made it very easy to consume and see all of your lab results, under, read all the notes from your, your, your doctor who's reviewed your results right within the, the app there as well. So real focus on all of those tasks to begin with. We've still made it possible to access everything else that you could via the patient portal. Uh, there is a way to kind of browse through into the full patient portal as we build these experiences in without having to re-log in. You know, we, we, reducing the barriers was, was a really key um, capability for us that we wanted to, to keep focus on there as well. But now we're shifting gears and, and gonna 
start to pull some of the other high value tasks into this, such as making a bill payment uh, and viewing your health history and, um, and capabilities such as that, that we're going to bring into the mobile app as well. So we don't market the app directly to patients, but I know there are a lot of practices who probably would really like their patients to be aware of the app. How can they remind their patients, make their patients aware of the benefits of downloading it and using it? Yeah, so this is something uh, a little bit unique that we have actually generated materials uh, for practices to hand out to patients in their office. Uh, we've also generated some print materials, some um, uh, posters that can be posted in the office. We've even produced some video content. Uh, if there is a monitor in a waiting room uh, that you could have a, a piece of video that's on a loop that's explaining the value and demonstrating the, the value of the, the mobile application uh, to alert patients to its um, availability. And it also really ties into the, what we talked about earlier about the things that a practice can do around digital patient engagement is uh, training. So just making sure your staff are aware that that tool is available and encouraging patients to utilize them as well. That all sounds great, and we'll definitely link out to some of those resources in the show notes. Um, to wrap this up, I know you and your teams have been working on tools to help practices benchmark and measure their digital patient engagement to really understand the extent to which they are reaching their patients, the extent to which their patients are using some of these tools like self-check-in. Um, can you talk me through the patient digital engagement index and how organizations can look at their digital engagement level with their patients? Yeah, this is very exciting. So this, this started with an effort just a couple of years ago where we wanted to, um, I guess, figure out how to measure uh, utilization of all of the digital channels that were being uh, made available to patients. So we defined uh, what we called the Patient Digital Engagement Index as that, that metric to give us insight into what direction we're going. Are we trending in a positive direction with patient digital engagement or are we, or are we staying flat? Or are we going down and where are our opportunities for improvement? And so we started measuring, we defined that, that index, we started measuring it a couple of years ago, and then we've uh, broken it down and we've analyzed it and it's kind of focused our areas of development of where we can work with our customers to help encourage them to perhaps take advantage of other features that would that feed into that index, which directly tie to the capabilities offered in Athena One um, to engage their patients digitally. We are now um, making this available directly to our customers so that they can view the, the dashboard, uh, see their own score on that index. They can see the breakdown of that score to understand their own opportunities where they could do better um, or whether maybe they're happy with um, some of the programs that they're already instituting as well. And then we're looking to help uh, expand that and, and enable some benchmarking. So making it possible for our customers to see how they're doing compared to the rest of Athena. You know, are the practices and policies that they have in place for uh, patient digital engagement being effective? And are they meeting their goals um, that they would like to, to achieve there? And so we're excited to offer that as uh, in our insights dashboard, uh, which is going to become uh, generally available in the fall release this year. Uh, and it's currently in an alpha state. So it is um, possible for a uh, practice to sign up and participate in that alpha now. I get an early preview uh, of what that dashboard looks like as well. And so that'll be right there in Athena One once it's available this fall? Yes, it will. Yeah. That's really exciting. Um, I know a lot of customers will be excited about it as well. Curtis, thanks so much for taking the time to talk us through these tools. This has been really great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Here's what else you need to know. In case you missed it, new features came to Athena One in July as part of the summer 2023 release. 
For more information about the Summer 2023 release, be sure to check out the release centers on the Success Community, where you can see release notes, demo videos, and more. If you go back earlier in this podcast feed, you can hear a conversation with Dr. Neela Jessel, our Chief Medical Officer here at Athena Health, about some of the enhancements that are already benefiting clinicians and staff. Don't forget to register for Thrive, Athena Health's annual summit, scheduled for October 9th through 11th in Austin, Texas. Thrive is designed to connect you with your peers and to help you transform your day-to-day work experience and the future of your business. We can't wait to see you there. Check out the registration page in the episode notes or by visiting the Success Community. With over 350 partners across 62 capabilities and 60 specialties, the Athena Health Marketplace enables you to curate your experience under one platform based on your specific business needs. Over 70% of Athena Health customers use one or more Marketplace partners. Go to marketplace.athenahealth.com and filter by specialty or capability to find solutions that support your business, integrating seamlessly and powering the most open, scalable platform in healthcare. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to tell your colleagues to check us out as well. The podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can let us know what you think by email at podcast.athenahealth.com, especially if you have any topics you'd like us to cover to better support the way you use Athena One. We at Athena Health are curing complexity to simplify the practice of care, and we'll talk to you again soon.